Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. I'm not sure where to start with this, or how to start this, or if I should even start this. I guess I'll just give you a little backstory to who I am, or was, because who I am now is completely different to who I used to be, back before I was traumatized. I had three friends, but for privacy's sakes, I'll just call them Ryan, Howie, and Thomas. And I mean this to the deepest of my core when I say that I missed them. I missed them so damn much. The four of us went on rescue calls during the summers, when missing cases would seem to fluctuate upwards. It wasn't paid work, it was all volunteer. We'd either assist a chopper with flybys to check for tree climbers, but in most cases, it was all by foot. Howie seemed to have this eagle eye on him, and I always joked with him about how he had something bionically implanted. In fact, it was that very implanted eye that led to it all. It was May 19th, 2015. Thomas received a call asking for help, and I remember vividly that Ryan didn't want to go. Him and Howie wanted to stay home and just play the PS4. I just... I don't know. I remember that in such detail. We all argued, half-jokingly at first, and then actually started bickering at each other. I guess the selling point was when I said something about how if it was their girlfriends lost out there, that they would want every single person to help them. That this could be someone's girlfriend, and that we should help. Howie sighed loudly, but in that way where it was like, I hate that you're right. I asked Thomas about the details, but he just said it was a missing persons case, and that we would probably get more info when we arrived. Well, the most info we received was that it was a group of campers had gone missing and that a family member recently received a strange phone call from one of the campers, and that was the last anyone heard from them. We tried to pry for more information because, hell, as selfish as it is, we were doing this for free. Like, can we at least get some more details to help us look? And I knew I should have turned and ran when the rescuer said no. Not, that's all we got, just a flat out no. The thing about rescuing that people don't seem to understand is that majority of these people are amateur hikers. Amateur hikers who huff up an ego after climbing a novice level terrain. Suddenly they get all, well if I can do that so easily, I can do harder terrain and blah 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 blah, and then they end up missing and injured. Or dead. So with that in mind, the four of us sit around listening to orders while other volunteers showed up. God, looking back at it, that's another thing that should have been such a red flag to get the hell out of there. The Forest Service didn't call in that many people. Normally, when it's a missing person, they gather at least a few dozen to help comb the area. And in more serious cases, like children, they get a few dozen plus a few helicopters. But that day, it seemed to be just a few of us. If you see something, you will report it directly to your walkie-talkie. Don't wait around, don't text your friends, don't call the police, report to the walkie-talkie. 
Can you believe that? They actually said that. To not call the police. I mean, I guess it was to avoid publicity scares, but still. If we found a dead body, just say something into a walkie-talkie. That always stuck with me. After about two hours into tracking, Howie points out a tent. Well, it turned out to be a tent, but all it was was torn up fabric and cloth. And I mean, it was absolutely decimated. Not from a storm, not from bad winds. And hell, at the time, it didn't even look like a bear attack. It was almost vulgar in a way. There's carnival attacks, and then there's pure rage. That's the best way to describe it, I guess. The campsite was seemingly a victim to something full of pure rage. So Ryan calls it in, along with our locations, and we're told to return immediately. I remember... I remember Ryan looking at us afterwards and commenting on how the person said, immediately. He said it wasn't like an order. He described it like they said it out of fear. Well, we start on our way back using Thomas's GPS until it starts going haywire. Once it started going haywire, I remember distinctively that it almost felt like time stopped. There were no noises coming from nature anymore, and I remember not feeling the wind. There's always some form of wind blowing, especially when you're in movement, but there was nothing. I'd say the clouds stopped moving too, but all I could see were tree leaves with sun rays coming through. Suddenly, Howie jumps. He was shouting, Excuse me! Over and over. I look over to him and he's pointing to his left. And wouldn't you know it? There's someone standing there. They were a bit far, but damn were they buck naked. It was definitely a guy. And he didn't seem to react to how he's shouting. I mean, he was looking at us, but he wasn't like waving or anything. He was just walking. Directly towards us. And not slowly either. He was coming at a pace to the point that we kind of backed away. And Ryan told him to stop. Well, Thomas being Thomas, he ran up to the guy after, understandably, not knowing how to respond to the situation. The guy kept his eyes on Howie, though, even as Thomas was in grabbing range. Howie mumbled something like, him being in shock and doesn't understand his surroundings. And then I realized that now would be the appropriate time to call into the radio. I said that we found a hiker who seems to have fallen and is in shock and that he's completely nude. I've received silence. I've reported it again. Silence. They weren't just not answering me. It seemed like my walkie-talkie had just up and died. But I remember the light blinking every time I hit the PTT, so... I don't know, it clearly wasn't actually dead. I know a lot of people talk about how all of a sudden there was this predator-slash-prey feeling that they get when they encounter something. But there's not really a word for how I felt. It wasn't just fear or dread. It was also a sadness. A deep, pitted sadness. I wanted to just outright burst into sobbing, almost like I wished I hadn't gone at all. I remember feeling like I wished I was a kid so I could wake up from this feeling and, like, hug my mom or something. By this point... Thomas had reached the guy and put his hands on their shoulders. And that was that. I can't call it a man anymore. 
the thing started screeching. Have you ever heard a boar snarl before it gets aggressive? It's guttural. This thing screeched like a panther at first, but I remember feeling this low bass, like that of an amplified boar snarl. And that was it. Thomas fell down, probably from shock, and the thing immediately jumped onto him. There was nothing we could do. The second Thomas was down, I watched his arm get torn clean off of his body. But Howie and Ryan still ran for him, probably because they're good friends. Either thinking Thomas could still be saved, or that they could get the thing off of Thomas's corpse. I don't know what happened next. I mean... I mean, I do, I just didn't see it. Because I ran. I turned around and abandoned them all. I abandoned Thomas. I abandoned Ryan. I abandoned Howie. And I abandoned that thing. But that doesn't mean I escaped what I heard. I distinctly remember hearing Howie scream Ryan's name. Assumingly because he was attacked next. Then, I heard Howie scream for help before the sound of his voice turned into a gurgling moan. And I just kept running. The worst part... God! The worst part... is that my initial reaction was... It has three bodies to keep itself occupied. That buys me time. That's all they became to me, in a matter of split seconds. Just more time for me to survive. In that moment, they weren't friends to me. They were just bait to slow down this thing. <sighs> Calling it a monster just makes it sound juvenile, okay? And after hearing the screams of Howie as he assumingly got ripped to shreds, I'm not going to sit here and just label it as something juvenile. And as you can unfortunately assume, I survived. In those following weeks, I was called dozens of times by the rescue team. And I was even left some threatening voicemails from private numbers. They weren't violently threatening, but they definitely had a purpose of scaring me silent. Well, I've had enough. I've had vans parked outside my apartments for years. Yes, even when I moved apartments and moved in with my girlfriends. There would be vans outside. And I'm just, I'm tired of this. The best friends of my life are gone. I mean, no, there was nothing I could do. There was nothing anyone could do. I just wished they had realized that, but at the same rate, if they had ran away with me, I don't think the thing would have been satisfied with just Thomas's corpse. It would have wanted more. It would have came after us would have came after me. My therapist says I have survivor's guilt-induced post-traumatic stress. Of course, she doesn't know the actual story, but that's all this turned into. All of these memories, all of these feelings, just a quick diagnosis. But I know deep down no meds will ever make me forget that. And I guess that's a good thing. It's what I get. My survival is the worst fate imaginable. I want some Hot Wheels, uh, a stuffed iguana, and my six-year-old son, Jeff, sat on the bed next to me, thinking. I was typing up my son's Christmas list on my laptop, preparing to email it to Santa. Of course, I was merely going to send it to myself. I didn't trust any of those email addresses claimed to be run by the real Santa, and I wanted to play it safe just in case some creep was trying to use parents' email addresses to stalk their children. Is that it? 
I asked Jeff. He was always a low-maintenance child. He never demanded a whole lot. Jeff nodded. That's all I can think of, he said. I smiled and sent the email before closing my laptop. Now we just need to wait until Christmas morning, I told Jeff. He smiled as he jumped off my bed and ran off to play with his toys. The next morning, while Jeff was at school, I checked my email and was surprised to see a message titled, Your Son's Christmas List, from an address I didn't recognize. I opened it up. Hi, Christina. I saw your son's Christmas list, and there's no need to buy those Hot Wheels or that stuffed iguana yourself like with last year's gifts. I can send it right to you, and you can give it to him on Christmas. I can also confirm Jeff has been a good boy this year, one of the best I've seen. Signed, Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. I was confused. Who was this? How did they know my name or email? How did they know my son's name for that matter? Or what he wanted? I told myself it was just one of my friends from work playing along. Yeah, that was it. Yesterday I had chatted with some of my friends over texting about what our kids wanted for Christmas, so one of them had probably just made a new account to add to the fun. I deleted the email and went back to my usual business. Shortly after Christmas break began, I sent Jeff over to a friend's house while I went to the store and bought the toys he asked for, along with some wrapping paper. After heading home, I checked my email again and noticed a new message from the same mysterious address that had emailed me last time. Hi, Christina. I saw you went out and bought the gifts that I said I'd bring myself. That's okay. I'll bring my own surprise gift for Jeff instead. See, I've been uh, a little short on elves this season, and uh, I've been looking for new recruits to help me make toys. Jeff is such a good little boy. He'll make a perfect elf. Hope you don't mind me taking him up to the North Pole on Christmas Day. I promise I'll bring him down every now and then to visit. Signed, Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. My heart sank. I hadn't told any of my work friends that I had bought the gifts yet. Something weird was definitely going on. I decided to write a response back, angrily demanding whoever this person was to tell me who they were, why they were stalking me and my son, and informing him to stay the hell away from us or I would call the police. A few days went by with no response. I felt relieved, thinking the guy had finally got the memo and decided to leave us alone, and I completely forgot about it until Christmas Day. While Jeff was asleep during the night of the 24th, I wrapped up the presents and put them under the tree as per tradition. The next morning while I was still in bed, I expected to hear Jeff excitedly shouting from the living room that Santa came. I was surprised to hear absolutely nothing, not a single peep. I checked the clock. It was eight in the morning. Strange, I'd usually expect Jeff to be up earlier than that, especially since it was the happiest time of the year for a child. A few minutes passed and I quickly became concerned. I decided to go downstairs to Jeff's room and check up on him to see if he was okay. I knocked on his door before cautiously peeking in. He was lying in his bed. The blanket pulled up to his head and his back facing me. Jeff? I asked. He replied with a weird grunting sound. Was he sick? I walked over to him and rubbed his head. Jeff, get up. Santa came. I stopped when I felt a pair of weird bumps on his head, buried underneath his hair. Jeff turned his head to me, and I jumped in shock. His ears were pointed and covered in hair. His face was stretched out like a dog's muzzle. You grunted again and stuck one arm out from under the blankets. Instead of a hand on the end, there was a furry brown hoof 
like that of a goat. My face turned pale as I stared in shock, unable to speak or move upon seeing my son's current state. At that moment, I heard a knock on the door. I ran upstairs, desperately hoping it was one of my friends from work who could help. I looked through the peephole and noticed an unfamiliar figure standing at the door. He was overweight, with a red jacket and long white beard. Thankfully, I had locked the door, so the man couldn't come in even if he wanted to. I then remembered the weird emails from this month, so I pulled out my phone and opened up my web browser. There was an email from last night, sent from the mysterious address. I opened it up, and what I saw nearly made me faint. I just stood there reading the message over and over again, trying to process everything as the man at the door continued to knock. Hi, Christina. Since you turned down my request to make a Jeff into one of my elves, I decided Jeff would make a good reindeer instead. My current reindeer are getting too old to pull the sleigh, and I'd need just one more kid to complete my new team. I'll be coming over tomorrow morning to pick him up. Signed, Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. New on Curiosity Stream, Darwin's Theory of Evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a two-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.